Well, hello and welcome to the Zwift Power Up Cycling Podcast. Uh, Greg is here, waiting patiently. Also joining us is our, our guest, Phil Sutherland, who's founder and CEO of pro cycling team Novo Nordst, and also CEO and founder of Super Sapiens. Welcome, Phil. Hey, good, good to be here. So, mate, just, just in that intro there, CEO of two companies. You're a busy man. Yeah, it's a... Uh... Yeah, you know, it's, it's good not to be bored in this day and age. And uh, with running two companies, a chair of a foundation, um, and, you know, three busy boys at home uh, that keep us all going full gas all the time. But now I get to be here with you guys. And uh, it's an, an honor to be the slowest person yet on your podcast. Uh, so <laughs> cheers to that honor. Good to be at the bookends of something, right? Good stuff. Well, um, great, great to have you on, Phil, generally, because I think what we're going to talk about today, mainly being super sapiens and, uh, you know, this continuous glucose monitoring, we'll come, come into that in more detail. I know, I think the elite, elite end of the sport know all about it, uh, well-versed, but the majority of people are probably thinking, well, what, what are you on about? What is, it, what is this stuff? So it's going to be insightful, I'm sure. But before we get on to Super Sapiens uh, and your business, let, let's talk about you and specifically, I think, um, your link to diabetes. Uh, I think that's quite interesting to set the scene, really. Yeah, super. Thanks. Um, and, you know, it's, Super Sapiens exists because of, you know, it was invented for Team Nova Nordisk and Team Nova Nordisk was the product of Team Type 1. And, I was just about you know bringing hope to people with diabetes, and you know I was diagnosed at seven months of age. Uh, you know, I was as an infant baby, misdiagnosed twice. Uh, I'd lost ten pounds in two two days. My mom took me dying in her arms in the hospital and said, "Please fix my baby." And you know, that was back in 1982. And after battery of tests, they came back and said, "Ma'am, we have good news. Uh, your son's going to live for now." Uh, unfortunately, we also have bad news. He has type one diabetes. And he, he's the youngest ever diagnosed. And based on current standards of care, treatment technology, you know, he's not going to live to 25. And if for some reason he does, he'll either have renal failure or be blind. You know, here's your insulin. Good luck. And yeah, back, back then, there, there was not a lick of positivity with diabetes, right? It's my mom went to some support groups you know, early on and you know, everyone there had complications, right? There were ki- kids who were blind. There were adults with legs cut off. I mean, that, that was the reality of diabetes at the time. And um, when blood glucose monitoring became available, and you know, my parents you know, used themselves as the control group and then me as the experiment. So, you know, in the, the late 80s, diabetics were not supposed to compete in sport, right? And it's even into the 90s because of the risk of hypoglycemia on the other side and seizures in the night, which I you know, was a victim of or I was the cause of uh, at some times throughout the years. But um, you know, my parents said, screw it. If he's going to die young, might as well you know, live with sport. And my, my dad was you know, one of the top five marathon runners in the country. My mom, um, you know, she taught aerobics you know, three hours a day to put food on the table you know, when we were growing up. And, uh, and so they pushed me into sport. And you know, the first week of swim practice, you know, I, I learned if I had good control of glucose, I could win. If I had bad control of glucose, I would fail. And so you can say I've been hyper obsessed about glucose as a proxy for performance. Um, got on the got on the bike at 12 years old because I wanted a Snickers bar. You know, I knew <laughs> I could go blind from diabetes. I had a candy bar at school. My glucose went to 350, and I was like, "Crap! Yeah, I I really want to eat that, but is that going to make me go blind?" And yeah, you know, it's like, well, you know, I've kind of you know, all these things with diabetes you're not supposed to do. I just 
I wanted to live a normal life. And so I found how many adjustments I had to make to do them. And fortunately, the adjustment with to eat the candy bar was go ride my bike to the gas station and then cruise around the neighborhoods. And when I got home, I had a good glucose. I was like, all right, cool. Here's my drug of choice, ride the bike. And, um, that led into racing. I wasn't very good. Um, but I didn't quit hired a coach, um, you know, top 10 in the nation in the criterium by you know, 18 years old. Um, nice. another, you know, top 10 in U23 national road race championships. Um, I, I think I got to see Greg at some points of the, the sharp end of the spear when he was lapping me in criteriums in the, you know, <laughs> in the early two thousands here, here stateside. Um, but you know, it was bike racing has been, I mean, it's what a community, right? Yeah. No matter where you are in fitness, you can get better. Uh, you can suffer more. And, you know, for me, it's just been like, it's, it's been the drug of choice for the last, uh, nearly 30, 20, 20 years now. Um, so that led to the creation wow. of Type one, you know, which, you know, was just, yeah, it's just been, you know, like Lance did for cancer way back when, uh, you know, using the bike as a platform for me was a big inspiration. Um, you know, and so I thought, you know, people with diabetes needed heroes and I never had one growing up. Uh, I know what it would have meant to my mother, you know, and all her challenges dealing with me as a kid. Um, and so we just wanted to solve for that problem and, you know, create a sustainable platform of developing heroes for people with diabetes and then have used the bike as a yeah. way to, get to Rwanda and work on access to medicine for people with diabetes. And as so we've changed healthcare landscape, uh, in various parts of the world, um, you know, it's just, I, I've been privileged with the, uh, the opportunity that diabetes has provided with me. Yeah. Awesome. Well, t- two, th- two things struck me there. Well, one, I had goosebumps when you said about the news that your mum received that you probably wouldn't make it past 25 oh my word, like that is just ha- such a hard message for, for a mother to hear. Um, so amazing you've kind of pa- passed that. But also, Phil, you're definitely not the slowest guest we've ever had on the podcast if you're getting top 10s in the in the, in the Nationals. Uh, you're w- well off the bottom of the leaderboard. Yeah, we've got Matt here. We've got one of the hosts here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very good. Um, no, all, 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 all good. So let's get stuck in to Super Sapiens. And um, I mean, Greg, have you... Are, you, are the team using it? Israel startup using there's, glucose monitoring? There's, so let's just basically take it back to scratch and 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 what is Super Sapiens? What is continuous glucose yeah. monitoring? Let's let's start from there. Like, can you give us a just give us a, a nice general background and 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 bit of a little bit of a data analysis of what Super Sapiens is? Yeah, so uh, Super Sapiens is it's the world's world's first energy management company. Yeah. For, for athletes. Uh, it's it's my perspective, every human's an athlete. We wanna help athletes achieve their goals. And we think pro- by providing endless energy to the athlete, they're gonna be better suited to hit their goals. How do you have endless energy? Well, we're giving live continuous glucose monitoring. Um, you know, if you think, you know, you go do an effort, heart rate goes up, you know, you push power, you know, that's, you've got your threshold that you can, you know, you can work to make improve. But if you don't have, uh, adequate glucose in the bloodstream, you're not going to be the best to yourself. So all we're trying to do is help athletes to fuel appropriately um, so that they can be the best of themselves. You know, we're not a miracle worker. You know, we're not going to turn a donkey into a racehorse, uh, but we can make a donkey the best donkey possible. And we can make a racehorse the best racehorse possible by ensuring they're fueling appropriately. Um, and it's, you know, continuous glucose monitoring I've been using since 2005. You know, I used to check 20 times a day uh, as a kid to, for performance and sport. And it was like a lot of like 25 pictures of that moment in time 
you know, over the course of the day, but no real insight as to what was going to happen. And then CGM became available and you see not just a number, but a trend for where it's going. And it's kind of, it became more of a, a video story of, you know, what was going on inside my body. And the first time I used CGM, the continuous glucose monitoring, you know, for 20 days, I learned more about what everything did to my body than the prior 23 years of, you know, obsessing about glucose control. And, you know, it was the key for team type one to win the race across America. It was the key for us to be able to get athletes to race professionally on a consistent basis with team type one and now team Nova Nordisk. So it's, it's just been this, for me, it was the best invention I ever had up until we upped the ante a little bit. And uh, the upping of the ante was, you know, it's great to have, you know, sensor in your pocket, which you can reach out and pull. But I mean, you know, if it's 50 K's an hour in a crosswind or you're going full gas up a mountain, it's like mm. sticking your hand in the pocket. You know, it's not like you can do that every five minutes, right? It's when you're racing bikes, you're focused on racing bikes. And so the athletes at team of an artist, we were really good at managing diabetes, but we would have each rider would have one bad day over a seven day stage race. And then the vein of an athletes, a team is only as strong as its weakest link. And we had a different weak link every day of the week. It was not predictable. You couldn't model it out. Um, I knew I had to solve for that for my team. And you know, we tried with a few different cycling companies to get glucose to the head unit. Uh, they could, they didn't pull it off. And ultimately it was uh, Chip Hawkins, you know, who's the CEO of Wahoo said, yeah, Phil, I'll do that for you. And you know, he did. And in the first 15 days of seeing every data point in front of me on the bike, you know, it was like, I it was like, I lost 10 kilos right away. I mean, it just, hmm. I was, I was in control. I, you know, didn't, it was glucose 150, then glucose 147, glucose 143 I'd eat versus a massive overcorrection if glucose had already crashed. Hmm. And, um, you know, we put on the athletes at Team Nova Nordisk, you know, they had been racing bikes with diabetes for a long time, but they learned more in that first training camp in Altea, Spain than in the previous seven years racing professionally. I was like, I got to bring this to market somehow. And, uh, you know, found a couple of young entrepreneurs, athletes, uh, runners, don't hold it against us. Um, but these guys, they, uh, they said, look, I don't have diabetes, but I buy that. You know, I bonked before I've run out of energy before. And that's the thing with athletes, right? They more often than not, people show up, they do all the work, they do the diet, they, everything's ready. And then race day, it goes to crap, but why? Yeah. Right. And so yeah. we find that like most, more often than not athletes are mistaking, you know, you know, being out of shape with underfueling, and we saw for underfueling, we can at least you know remove one variable for the athletes. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been a wild ride in the past uh, two and a half years now, getting the company off the ground. You know, getting a, a deal done with Abbott Laboratories, who was my very first sponsor for Team Type One, and you know we now get to distribute the Abbott LibreSense Glucose Sport Sensor, um, which. It's a phenomenal technology, you know, technology that 2 million people with diabetes are using their products indicated for diabetics. And we have one specifically indicated for athletes uh, that's been tested, vetted, and it's really like a groundbreaking technology for the world of sport. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So essentially, this boils down to you get a little patch on your arm and that's, send it, that's reading your blood glucose levels. Um, and it's informing you via Bluetooth to a watch, could be a Garmin head unit, could be someone in the team car, whatever. And then based off that, you can make sure you're fueling. It doesn't doesn't reach that far. So it's okay. just, it's right, right now it goes from the app or from the sensor on the arm 
and then to yep. either the app or we have this piece of hardware, a wrist reader. So it goes there. Okay. Yep. And then currently the app can transfer it to the Garmin head unit or watch. Um, and then this will be able to do the same in the near future because obviously professional athletes can't carry phones when they race. Yeah, got it. And you mentioned a couple of numbers there, you know, 300, 150. What is that m- measurement? Uh, milligrams per deciliter of glucose in the blood. And, you know, when we first did the race across America, you know, and we found that our glucose if it was between 140 and 180. That's where we felt really good as athletes with diabetes. And once we were able to titrate to that level, we performed a lot more consistently. Lo and behold, athletes without diabetes, it's like what, what I've learned now seeing the data from nearly 6,000 consumers is that when exercising, everyone's diabetic, right? It's everyone has to manage fuel to the veracity that a type one diabetic does when they're on the bike, if they want to perform. So we see big spikes in glucose, like things that in the exercise physiology textbooks, what we're seeing in the athletes of the world has never been viewed before. It's uh, it's really, I mean, it is groundbreaking for like Elliot Kipchoge, the glucose levels that he can sustain for a marathon. You know, all doctors of the world would say that's not possible, right? Or Jan Van Berkel, when he came in second place in the Tulsa uh, Ironman a few weeks back, you know, the glucose he was able to sustain, uh, you know, for eight hours was just unbelievable. And so what, 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 what type of, what type of numbers we, are we talking then? If the average Joe is 150, 180. Well, so you think the normal glucose for not diabetic from an average is about a hundred, you know, the woman's at 95 okay. and at a hundred and, and then in sport, you see very varying ranges of increase. So it seems so far, and again, we're really preliminary in the data and we're investing in the science so that we can learn more and publish more, but the best of the best are able to get their glucose up to above 200 during very intense efforts. I see some amateur athletes, um, maybe again, who not the best of the best, they're able to get their glucose up to 120s, 130s. So is the ability to infuse glucose into the bloodstream? Is that a physiological marker such as the VO2 max? I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Mm. These are some of the early hypotheses we have about just really the importance of it. And then the other important thing that we're seeing is that in the performance zone, if you want to be pushing a threshold effort or going over, you know, a, a good kick, you know, you need to be at least above 110, right? You can't, can't do it. And I always thought it was just me, a personal diabetes, but we're seeing the same outputs for people without diabetes, glucose below 110, they're not the best themselves. And what we've seen in the data is that 45% of the time that people exercise for more than an hour, their glucose is below 110. And then 2% of the time it's actually below 72, which is hypoglycemic. And that's for men. And then women are 3% of the time that women compete more than an hour, they're hypoglycemic. And to put it in context, hypoglycemic, it's, it's like being drunk, right? You're it's, you can have up to 50% re- reduction in cognitive response when with hypoglycemia. So you think Craig about, you know, climbing up a mountain, you know, back in the car, back in the next car, the next car, and then having to go through the cars at hundred K's an hour down the road, you know, it's, you, you could do that after a couple of beers, right? Uh, maybe once, maybe twice, maybe three times, but at some point you're going to pay the price. And, um, so, you know, again, safety wasn't the initial kind of come to market strategy, but the data that we're seeing, we, we think, uh, in the data States that, you know, we can improve the safety of athletes as they're going out there, you know, pushing the limits of human physiology. 
That's great. Um, one quick question I had was um, when you're talking um, uh, continuous or live tracking, are we talking instantaneous? Are we talking 10 minutes, 15 minutes delay? Like how long does it actually – how long have we got between a reading and what's actually happened in the body? So it's uh, every minute you get a new reading. And is that exactly what's happened that minute in the body? It's what's happening that minute in the interstitial fluid. There's a difference between blood glucose and interstitial glucose. And, yeah. you know, but the interstitial glucose is what fuels the muscles and interstitial glucose is what fuels the brain. So for a lot, and when CGM first came to market, there was, you know, people said, well, it's different than blood glucose. Well, it is. There are two different you know, measurements in totality. So me personally, I now rely strictly on interstitial glucose. That's for me, it's the golden ticket. And when you look at the numbers every minute, it's not so much the number that's most important, but it's the trend. The trends, yeah. Trends are so important. So you see here, like I'm, I, I was a little bit low at the start. I had too many gummies. And so now I'm 148, you know, with an arrow straight up. So I saw that 144 with an arrow straight up. I just gave a unit of insulin. Uh, about a minute ago on the flip side, you know, like, again, I, I used to pull the, pull it out of the pocket and see a glucose of 150 and think oh, I'm fine. Right. And then 20 minutes later, you know, a lot can happen to the body in 20 minutes, 20 minutes yeah. later, pull it out and it's 110 with an arrow going straight down. Well, once that happens, you have to eat 60 grams of carbs to stabilize and then come back up to the performance zone which is a lot of food and during a race and and you know if we talk during a specific part of a race to actually to actually fuel that amount of, at a certain time of the race can be very very difficult yeah and you think like you see a glucose of 148 flat and then you see the next one of 146 and then the next one an arrow of 142 down then you eat your 20 grams of carbs level out at 135 and come right back up so the variability is what's it's bad right and so being able to kind of limit your titration, like limit your ranges throughout an event is just going to mean, you know, more sustained power. And you think about, you know, the, a, a bike race, what happens at the start, you know, the breakaways are trying to go, they're flying. Well, everyone's going full gas. There's gonna be massive spike in glucose. Then the break goes and then P-stop happens. You know, the barrage is there. You know, have you ever felt like a, a hun hunger flat type, like shortly after that barrage happens from, you know, poo, the glucose crashes right back down. Um, yeah, there's lots of interesting things that we're going to continue to learn and invest in the science because, you know, it's, we're on a massive learning curve, right? It's, if you think when you first saw a power meter, like, well, what does this mean? Right. It's numbers. You know, I can, you know, mm -hmm. you know, Greg, you saw much bigger numbers than you know, I would have ever seen, but it's a big number than a small number. What is, you know, it's not until you really know how to utilize these numbers that, you know, it becomes an invaluable tool. So we're we're working hard hard on education to just try and make it easier for people to understand what to do, how to do it, and really just how to be the best of themselves. I'm just thinking this through. On there's as well as making sure you've got enough glucose and making sure you've got yeah a, a lot of glucose in your system. Also, the other end of the spectrum for riders who are looking to train fasted, you know, train low, uh, no carb, low glucose to force that metabolism of, uh, of fat as a fuel. That's, uh, that's another use, right? So you can ensure you're safely running on low glucose as opposed to, you know, running on complete empty. Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen some, you know, really interesting stories of guys who, 
you know, had average glucose of 100 and were maintaining weight. And so we worked with them because they want they intentionally they wanted to lose weight. So we said lower your average glucose to 95, and then mm-hmm. we set a target to 95. And as they had a, a lower average glucose over the course of a week, then the pounds just start to come off. So it's you know, and again, you know, a lot of young athletes, and I guess all of us who ride a bike are always trying to lose weight, right? We're never we're never lean enough. But you know, for that for those neo pro athletes, I mean, it can become obsessive, right? And it, you know, there's a good way to be lean. And there's very bad ways to be lean. And those very bad ways typically lead to psychological damage for the kids. And so we just want to make it easy for people to safely be the best themselves, right? And take a bit of the mental pressure off of trying to be the best of you. But a a continuous glucose monitor isn't easy isn't actually correlatable directly correlatable to, to a ketogenic because for example, if you are trying to go keto in, in some US or some of these fasted or fat adapted rides, utilization of glucose is actually very, very limited. And so then the uptake is less. So wouldn't the reading stay quite stable anyway? And then even though, because you're actually burning a different type of fuel. That's a good question. I think a lot of the glucose response of the body comes from intensity. So if you're trying to do a fat adaptive ride and you go out easy, like then you'll probably stay within a, a, a good range, but it all depends yeah. on, I find that if I'm coming off two rest days and I go out on ride, I have a massive spike in glucose, right? If I have one rest day and then I ride, I have a big spike, but not as big as if I had two days. Cause my call it muscles and liver fully charged with uh, glycogen. So my fueling strategies after a rest day are different than after, you know, I rode today, ride tomorrow. Well, the day two, I'm going to need to eat a little bit quicker. And if I go to the third day, I'll, I'll actually eat before the ride so that I don't begin dropping. So it's really kind of just to help people understand how your body responds to different training methodologies and different fueling methodologies, find out the number you feel best, right? Yeah. And and how, what is your the fueling strategy that you need to hit the number that you feel the best? Because everybody's different. Everybody's body's different, isn't it? And because my next question was going to then lead to, okay, if we go from keto, if we go the absolute opposite and we go about carbo loading, which, you know, it's been around for, for ages. And is there, a, is there a correlation there with your continuous glucose monitoring when you've, when you've absolutely fueled your muscle glycogen, liver glycogen, and obviously your, your blood glycogen levels? Is, is, your, is, the, is the monitor going to show that up in your, when you've um, carbo loaded for a, for a one-day race or for whatever, your, for whatever reason? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it, it does. So what, what we do is like, the events get auto-created in the app. Uh, and when you go to an event, you get to see your trailing 12 and 24-hour average glucose. Or if you want to just get a snapshot, you scan, you know, do a little scan of the sensor. And then you again see the previous 12 12 and 24 hours, bless you, uh, average. So you can kind of find that there's an average glucose of 108 for the previous 12 hours equate to a good feeling versus an average glucose of 95 in the previous 12 hours equate to bad feeling on the bike. And like Todd, Todd, for no, my president, you know, he, as I said, he's a runner uh, and he rides a bike a little bit now. Um, But he knows that if, if he wakes up and his you know, average for the previous night is 94, he can't go out on a hard run. But if he wakes up and his average glucose is you know, 98 or above, 
he can go train full gas. And so through his own experience, he's been able to find Mm. how he needs to fuel in the days leading up to events. And like with Kipchoge, when he did the 204 in Hamburg, you you know, it's, he had very obviously from the data been carbo-loading intensively. Um, Jan van Berkel, who I mentioned, uh, who got second place in the Tulsa Ironman, you know, his coach, Daniel Plews, who's uh, out of New Zealand also, is um, big on low-carb, high-fat for training. But then in the lead-up to race, very high-carb, right? And so it'd get the average glucose almost like, again, what the textbooks would say is not possible, and then you're fully fueled and then you can utilize all that fuel over the course of a one hour ride or, you know, an eight hour Ironman, depending on what your goals are. Talking of duration there, Phil, uh, is, is, is an hour, is an hour and above the, the duration of ride or exercise that Super Sapiens really comes into its own? So for longer, longer, or is it short, short term intervals or anything high intensity? Obviously, you're going to be ripping into your glucose. I'm thinking a Zwift, a Zwift event, like a, a Zwift race, a 20, 30 minute Zwift race. Well, I mean, I, th- I think you can you can learn, you know, from anything, right? Because it's you want to find out where where you feel best, right? And just what what do you need to do to get there, right? Because if you're sitting, you know, glucose of 80 at the start of a Zwift race. Maybe you want to take a gel in advance, but if your glucose is 110 at the start of this whiff race and you know you're going to spike, then you say, okay, I don't need to eat, mm. right? Um, but where, you know, you look at the the body, right? The human body, there's there's glucose in the muscles stored, there's glucose in the blood, and there's glucose in the liver. And for those, you know, very long rides for, like, call it five, six hours, the body's pretty good at auto-correcting. So if your glucose drops to 70, your body will produce glucagon and cause you know, release of glycogen from the liver. Glucose goes up. Well, if you don't eat, then that's going to go down again. Glycogen gets produced. Glucose goes up. Well, let's say you don't eat again, comes down up. You can act, you've got about four times of hitting 70 before your reserves are empty. And then once they're empty, you know, you start trending down towards 70 and you keep trending down and again, sixties and then the fifties. And that's when that, that's when the bonk happens. Right, when you've completely depleted yourself. So the prevent the bonk scenario, you know, it's that's everyone we can, you know, call it save, save your ass by, you know, giving you the guidance and knowing, like, I don't want to dip into my reserves. And then those shorter races on, on Zwift, I mean, like, I know if I'm going to go on Zwift, there's, there's people faster on Zwift than I've ever ridden with in real life. Um, you know, I got to be well fueled if I'm going to get in one of those races. So you just got to, again, it's, it's personal. And I think Zwift is actually one of the best places you can learn because it's a controlled environment and there's Mm -hmm. no hills, there's no variables. It's you do exactly what you want to do. And there's no better way to test and find out like what your optimal fueling strategy is as an individual so that you can then apply that at the next race outside or the next group ride outside that you do. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm such a huge fan of Zwift and the community, that's been created. Uh, I think I was telling you all before the show, but you know, I, I gained about 25 pounds with my first child and then lost most of it. And then another 25 pounds with my second child and then lost most of it. And then my, my third boy, I said, uh, uh-uh, not again, you know, I got to get a trainer. I got a, got a kicker, then, then sign up for Zwift. And after you know, I get my family to bed at you know eight 30, get all my wife and three kids to bed at eight o'clock at night. And then I get on Zwift and 
first ride for an hour and I was like, holy, holy crap, ride a trainer is fun now. Yeah. And this this doesn't yeah. suck anymore. And <laughs> it's been a like it really was a game changer for me. And you know, Eric has been a, an extremely uh Eric Mann has been a great mentor to me and kind of the building of super sapiens and good advice here, good advice there. And uh, I definitely looked at Zwift as the model of like the community that we want to build going forward. But more importantly, it's the community that we want to serve right now. Because the people who are yeah. getting on Zwift are people who you know, are time crunched, who need to make efficient use of time for training. And you know, if we can help you do that better uh, and fuel better, then you're going to go faster and go faster longer. And then you talk about the the typical Zwifter, time crunched, absolutely. And the typical Zwifter, I think, tends to Zwift either early morning or late in the evening, before work or after work. So, you know, you kind of wake up, you ain't got much time, nutrition kind of goes out the window. So I'm thinking another use there, bit of insight in, a bit of insight for, you know, where you're at glucose-wise. It's going to help with, yeah, your, your performance in training, but also your uh, response to that training. You're, you're, you're fueling properly. You're going to get more out of your training. Um yeah, I get. Uh, I've, I've just got another couple of questions, just quickly. Um, you know, I, I really understand the technology for for training and trends, and and like you said, fueling, getting a getting a snapshot or getting a or getting a um, you know, a twelve hour, twenty four hour, um, sort of trend of where your glucose is at to depend or 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 to sort of plan your training around what sort of levels you're at. Um, or what sort of training schedule I might have coming up. My question is, elite athletes, they know how to fuel. We know that every 20 minutes we've got to take on something. Every 20 minutes we know, like there's not many of the elite elite that do bonk. Um, so how how is, has it become a performance-enhancing device that the UCI would ban? Um, I mean, I can understand also... Let's say you're your Grand Fondo rider and he sees a trend that's sent to his unit and he's, he's trending down because he doesn't understand his body. He doesn't understand fueling. And yeah, he's forgotten. He's, he's climbed the Payasud or some some Alp somewhere and he's climbed for an hour in the heat and he's, he's been under the pump and forgotten to eat and drink. I can understand that. But an, an elite athlete... Why would why would it be banned in in, uh, in in cycling? Like, where is the major advantage that the UCI sees that has banned this product? Yeah, that's, um, that's a million dollar question right now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the response was, you know, they they want they don't want to create a boring race. But that makes no sense to me. That does not. How does that influence a race? Like, they, they don't want to see a boring race. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, you look at the the. I mean, go back world championships you know, in Yorkshire, right? And when you saw that final five-man break, you know, it's, you know, you know 99 people out of 100, what, who's going to win? Vanderpool, right? It's the money would have all been on Vanderpool, but 16 days to go, boom, he exploded. He bonked, right? And he probably had a fueling strategy that worked you know, on sunny days, but that day happened to be really cold and really wet, which you're burning a whole lot more energy. Um, so could it have played an outcome for his race? Uh, perhaps, but you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, the, the fans, like I took it as a compliment that we're banned right during races. Uh, you know, Mick Rogers said, you know, it would be unfair, you know, for an athlete who can't afford this in professional cycling to compete against an athlete who could afford it or who did have it. And it was like, okay, so you see this as obviously one of the most important performance tools out there. 
great, thank you. Um, and I took that to heart, right? It's you know, my business model. Business model is not built on the professional athletes, right? It's, yeah, right? it's you know. And so I sent a note to all the team managers uh, that I had the contact list for, and I said, look, if you're if you have athletes that can't afford the technology, and or if y'all can't afford it within your team budgets to buy the technology, just let me know. I'll provide it to everyone because. You know, it's my responsibility. Like we brought this to market, right? And if we can help athletes, you know, I've I've had to call the parents of kids who had crashed and their sons or daughter are in intensive care units. And yeah, it's like if we can prevent one of those from happening by preventing a low glucose in a bike race, we're gonna stick with it. And so whatever the UCI needs going forward, I mean, I've I've got the data. We've got big data sets now on what happens to the human body during exercise. We offered the science. Uh it was and we offered to fly to Switzerland and get on the phone and get on video meetings. Uh, none of that happened. Yeah, Mick was really good in having some conversations, but uh, it was clear that the decision had come from above. And um, yeah, I'm, I've been in the sport for a long time. Uh, I'll be in the sport for a long time. And so we'll just keep working with the UCI and the riders and the teams to do whatever's necessary to eventually get this approved. Because it's not, all it is, is another data point on the head unit. Right. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's power, power that comes from the body. There's heart rate that comes from the body, core temperature, which you can swallow a pill and that sensor is allowed. So I feel it's perhaps a little unfair, but yeah, it is what it is. We've got an answer. And now that we have an answer, we can adjust strategy going forward. Um, if life was easy, then, yeah, we, we wouldn't be bike riding bikes. Right. Yes, that's true. And, and then, you know, there's also the fact that potentially because it is so new that the, the people that made the decisions up above in, in, in the UCI, they don't understand the technology perfectly either. So they just, they're, you know, people fear what they don't understand, you know, and it's like, oh, this could be, you know, I, th- I think the, the fact that, um, you know, a, an elite athlete can't afford something like, I mean, the teams pay for that sort of thing. You know, it's like SRMs can be three or four thousand euro. You know, whereas, you know, we're not even talking anywhere near that that type of money. So, I just took it as a as they don't understand the technology yet, and like you said, it's it's we're on a learning scale and we're on a learning trend for this for this new continuous glucose monitoring. Well, new for the cycling um, world, it's not new at all, but. Um, yeah, I think once they learn it and understand it more, then I think they'll realize that, oh, okay, hang on, this is actually, um, you know, this is a, a really important piece of data, not just not just for um, performance, but for, for actually health and safety. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look yeah. at, you know, yeah. you know Jumbo Visma, right? We That was one of the par- early partner teams that we worked with. And Asker Jukendrup, who's one of the kings of carbohydrate metabolism and uh, endurance sport, was one of our earliest scientific advisors. And you know, he got us to jumbo and the things that he learned for, uh, and the adaptations, they had a really good fueling strategy, right? I mean, they were, as you said, Greg, like, you know, if you're at the top of the sport, you're, you've got a really good understanding, but they were able to make some small refinements and what they fueled and when they fueled leading to the tour last year. And I mean, look at Wout Van Art, right? I mean, he was on fire and he, like we, we had worked to refine his fueling strategy so that he had the best best in his blood at all times from a glucose standpoint. And um, so I was really, really proud of you know, those performances. Um, Enios and working with their science team to like just learn because it, it's new data. So we have to learn how to use it, how it applies 
know, you know, getting on the bus, right? It's eat 80 grams of carbs an hour, eat every 20 minutes. But what's that might be different from rider to rider based on mm -hmm. where their metabolism is and their physiology. And I think everyone finds some magic bullet. Like it's been great working with Chris, you know, for me, you know, he's, he's been on product since December, uh, you know, and finding different ways to utilize it to you know, help his training be as, as effective as possible. Uh, again, it doesn't create miracles, right? It's not a miracle creator. It's, it's just helping you be the best of yourself. And, yeah. you know, but to get the honor to work with the fastest in the world, um, like just earlier today, we announced our partnership with Jan Ferdano, Um, and Jan's been using it for the past few months, you know, and he's it's like, scientifically, this is the first time ever that he's scientifically studying what goes on inside his body so that he can adapt his fueling strategy in search of the perfect race. So it's kind of, it's just, you know, for me, it's an honor to see the fastest people in the world, you know, using it, uh, and, and not just using it, but getting benefit out of it. And in due course, you know, I think, you know, two things, one, you'll be at a disadvantage if you don't have this on your arm, but two more importantly is this is a way that the athletes of the world can spread the technology to the, the people who really need to set a goal for the first time, right? Um, every human's an athlete and that person who's been on the couch for the last 25 years and has gained 45 pounds and is sitting there waking up every day, like ashamed of who they are, right? We can help that person with their goal to take the first step. I mean, and if, Chris Froome or, you know, Jan Fredano or Anna Vandenbregen, Lucy Charles, athletes like that can be the reason that, you know, someone on the couch at home gets on Zwift for the first time and gets addicted Absolutely. to that feeling of exercise. I mean, everyone needs, you know, a bike in their house, a bike uh, in, on an indoor trainer and a video game to play. And it's just, we can get the world healthier through this technology. And I, I love Eric's vision for the long-term of, you know, we're going to use Zwift to change the health of the world. Right. And yeah. it's like, it gives athletes a chance to be the inspiration that society desperately needs right now. And, you know, if everyone rode a bike, there'd be a lot, the world would be a much happier place and a much healthier place. And I think it's up to athletes to inspire more people to be athletes. Big, big question for me then, Phil, P people are going to be, hopefully some of our listeners are thinking, yeah, I like the sound of it. I'm up for it. Is how do you, how do you get hold of, uh, the super sapiens, super sapiens system. Yeah. So we're, we're approved in the EU right now as a sports performance device. So, you know, go on supersapiens.com. Uh, you know, take an order. There's, there's trial packs. If you just want to try one, I, I would caution that you know, it's just, it takes time to learn. Right. And it's not, you're, you can try one sensor, the second sensor, you'll learn more. The third sensor, you'll learn more. And how, how long does one sensor last? Each sensor lasts 14 days. Okay. And I, and I just like, I've had diabetes for 39 years and I still learn new things every day. You know, I've, I've checked my glucose a, a few hundred thousand times in my life mm -hmm. and I'm still learning new things. And that's again, for the athlete, it's, it's about getting the baseline knowledge of what works for them, but then being prepared to adapt to whatever variable goes into play. And, you know, there's 42 different variables that affect blood glucose. Like uh, Bobby Julek, you know, when he gets in the car and drives, his glucose spikes every time because he gets really nervous driving. Okay. Here's one because I, I know, again, Zwifters uh, are, are the ones who are trying to fight for time to exercise, right? And for all of us, it's like, you know, two jobs, three kids. You know, it yeah. used to be really hard for me to get home from work and then convince my wife that it was okay for me to go out and ride a bike. Then I put her on a sensor. 
And then she saw personally that if she wasn't exercising, her average glucose was 105. But if she exercised five days a week, her average glucose was 100. And so she, for the first time, had data that validated the benefit of exercise on her health. Yeah. And then guess what? How that data became powerful for me is I said, honey, <laughs> like I need to exercise five days a week. So I get that same increase in metabolism because it makes my life easier and it's to make me live longer. And after she had access to the sensors and saw the data and the impact that exercise had on her life and her health, if I say I need to go ride bikes, she says, go. That's your marketing right there. That is your marketing sold. Get in the basket. <laughs> we'll, we'll have a few of those. <laughs> no, and, and yeah. I think just before we go, I think we need to make uh, we need to make clear also for, with the UCIs that um, uh, Novadisc has been given the dispensation to use. Obviously, this continuous glucose monitoring during racing. It's uh, it's not like they've turned a complete blind eye to it and and said no. Like uh, your team's still a hundred percent allowed to use. Isn't that right, Phil? Yeah, that is correct. So I, I'll give them credit on that. They, in the in the letter back, they did say that Team Nova Nordisk was exempt from this, and um, it's you know, the response to that's been kind of interesting. That the guys, the guys at TNN, they've just they've been fighting to belong in the peloton, right? And for so long, they were the awkward guys that had sensors on their arm that are injecting insulin in the, in the races, and a lot of questions of why and you know then they started to be normal because everyone else was wearing sensors and yeah, they got, yeah. it, it actually was really inspiring to them to see other people looking at glucose the same way they looked at glucose and understanding the challenges that they have to go through. And, you know, now they're special again, which, you know, we'll take that advantage. Um, we got a lot more to manage, but, um, you know, but yes, we will continue using sensors and races and, in doing so, we've been able to publish some phenomenal scientific journals um, and yeah. just really help educate the broader diabetes society of you know how to go out there and exercise more often. And now, you know, if you have diabetes, you get diagnosed today. Most kids are have applied to our talent ID camp before they left the hospital. And uh, we got to because of exercise, because of the bike, the world for people with diabetes is a much better place now than it was 15 years ago. And um, you know, Jonas Santala won the Finnish national championship this past weekend. Um, so I think that for me is symbolic. It's the hundredth anniversary cool. of insulin right now. And now is the time for people with diabetes to get to the front of the back and, you know, begin to not just be catching up, trying to survive, trying to belong, but now it's time for, for our team and the people with diabetes around the world to take leadership stances and change the world. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. That's a nice fitting way to, to round off the pod. Nice. Yeah. Nice success story, but uh, Phil, thanks for thanks for your time. Uh, re- re- really interesting. I'm sure it's one our listeners will will enjoy and and, and learn about. So yeah, been good chatting to you. Awesome. Well, Matt, Greg, thank you both, and to everyone else out there, I'll, I'll see you on Zwift sometime. 